What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, AKA John and John. We are in crunch time of the Pac-12 football season. we got a lot to talk about on today's episode. We're going to touch on the battle between Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix for the Heisman Trophy. What will we do with our Heisman Trophy ballots? We had to vote today. We will talk about whether or not there's a hot seat or a warm seat for any of the coaches in the Pac-12 conference. The ongoing litigation in County Superior Court will be among our topics and We'll give our Week 11 picks. I'm John Canzano. I'm here with John Wilner. You can find my work at johnconzano.com. Having a lot of fun writing and reporting, and uh, appreciate everybody who's reading me there already. And I'm with Wilner, of course, as I mentioned, and you can find his work at pac12hotline.com. John Wilner, how you doing, man? I am good, thanks. We got a lot to get into. You know, I was thinking, um, I was talking recently to some folks at Stanford and Cal, about the ACC move, because, you know, you cannot get away from this. All, the schools are all making their transition plans behind the scenes, right? They've all got they're, – they're trying to get through the sports season, but they've all got folks working on these transitions. And and some of the folks at Sanford and Cal were saying how they've got – one of the reasons they, they were intrigued by the ACC is they've got so many alumni on the East Coast, right, especially in that New York, D.C. corridor. And I started to think, you know, USC, UCLA probably have a lot too – and there's there's Pac-12 folks everywhere. And hopefully a lot of them are listening to this podcast and maybe some of them are hungry, right? There you uh, go. And Pacific Seafood, our sponsor, has got everybody covered coast to coast. They got e-cards. Uh, they got gift cards. They ship anywhere. They ship to New York. They ship to Chicago. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, they will ship it to you. They're Products are frozen at their peak freshness to be enjoyed throughout the holiday season, beyond holiday season, into hoops, into March Madness. And uh, I, I think that uh, that would be a smart move for folks listening across the country. Yeah. Third generation family owned business based in Portland on a mission to feed the world the healthiest protein on the planet. I really appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. They know how important the Pac 12 conference is to our listeners and college football, college basketball, the litigation, the Heisman Trophy race, uh, Pacific Seafood is all about all of that stuff uh, in addition to uh, great seafood. Man, we've used them for years. Um, I've mentioned this before, but we have a seafood boil every summer, and it pretty much is presented by Pacific Seafood. It's, you know, lobster tails, these colossal lobster tails and Dungeness crab and uh, so much more. And you can go right to their website at pacificseafood.com. And by the way, we've got a special for you. We've got a promo code. Uh, you can use the code Kanzano and Wilner at checkout, and you get 12% off your on purchase. So uh, take advantage of that. PacificSeafood.com is the website. Uh, Wilner, let's let's first. Uh, where do we start here? Do we, we want to start with a court case? Like you had an interesting little tidbit this week uh, as it pertains to the Pac-2 versus the 10 departing schools. Um, you know, big hearing coming up in. Colfax in Whitman County Superior Court on Tuesday. Judge uh, Gary Leiby will be presiding. Not sure if he's going to rule from the bench or if he is going to listen to testimony and then take some time to make a decision. This may not be like a Perry Mason situation in court, but what you know? What are you expecting and what are you thinking about in, in the run-up to that Tuesday hearing? 
You know, I'm actually thinking about, and we don't want to get too deep in the weeds legally here, but I'm thinking about a court ruling last week in the Bay Area uh, that will have implications for the PAC-2, the PAC-12, uh, PAC-10, everybody. And and it's a little bit off the radar, but I think it's important for our readers just to know the, the basics, right? This is That case is called House versus the NCAA. House is Grant House, a former ASU swimmer. And this case is about NIL rights for all college athletes prior in a five-year period prior to NIL becoming legal. So basically, we're talking about all college athletes from 2016 to 2021, and they are seeking compensation. The plaintiffs are seeking compensation for this. Another uh, named plaintiff is uh, Sedona Prince, former uh, Oregon basketball player. She's now at TCU, I believe. And there's also a former Illinois football player in it. And so they are going after the NCAA for essentially back pay for NIL over five years. But the interesting piece is that they are not just going after endorsement and promotional payment. They are going after compensation for media rights, right? The the big kahuna in college sport in the college sports economic system. They're claiming that athletes NIL is basically accounts for 10% of the media rights deals. So if you got if you're doing your math at home, the Big Ten just signed a, a billion dollar a year deal, right? Well, if this court case, if you take the court case's framework and apply it, that means $100 million should go to the athletes because their name, image, and likeness is responsible for 10% of the value of that deal. So now you start talking about the media rights deals for that whole five-year period before 2021, and it's football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and all Olympic sports athletes. are They're all part of the case so what happened Friday is that the judge, Claudia Wilkin, who ruled on the O'Bannon case many years ago and is basically, you know, she a- takes uh, takes aim at the NCAA's uh, amateurism model frequently. She granted class status to all three classes in this case, uh, to all three tiers, football, men's basketball, women's basketball, Olympic sports. They are going after one point four billion dollars from the NCAA and because antitrust law trebles damages that means this is potentially they're going after 4.2 billion dollars from the NCAA and who is the NCAA it's the schools so trial is set for early January early 2025 right but we are talking about potentially each school being responsible for tens of millions of dollars for this case. It is a mammoth case. I talked to uh, an athletic director who I respect immensely the other day, and I don't want to name names, but he said that that ruling that gave that granted class status to all three tiers in this case last week, he said that was the biggest event in his college sports career. A lot of athletic directors, a lot of college sports administrators understand that the House case could change everything. And it could force schools to cut many sports. And football's not going anywhere. Men's basketball is not going anywhere. Neither is women's basketball. But, boy, 
uh, if you're if these schools are on the hook for tens of millions of dollars and if future revenues from media deals have to be shared with the athletes, and that's part of what this is about, you know, it changes the entire economic structure. It is mu- mammoth, and it could affect the Pac-2. Yeah. It could affect uh, affect the Pac-10. Sounds like it. Sounds like it would affect everybody. It's fourteen thousand athletes that fall in those classes that you mentioned. Yep. Fourteen thousand damages, as you mentioned, could exceed four billion dollars. But I was I was looking at the NCAA's financial reports as you were talking there. I started pulling them up. They only show four hundred fifty-seven million in assets. So you're right. Like if if they get a ruling that exceeds three billion, four billion, whatever that number is, they only have four hundred fifty-seven million in the uh, in the NCAA entity. So the member schools would be on the hook for that. And yes, it's uh, it's really interesting that you bring this up because you know while we were both reporting and writing about the Pac-12's media rights deal, the run-up to this case was happening, sort of uh, parallel to that. And I kept encountering media consultants who were telling me, nobody's paying attention to this case. Why isn't anybody paying attention to this case? It's an important case. And some of them were were, uh, consulting with the attorneys on one side or the other, and they said, you need to be paying attention to this. Even when the first... Uh, bits of this started to become news stories. I I think a lot of fans and a lot of media didn't understand what is happening. And I think you're right. Like this is going to be a really important thing. Like it may cause the NCAA to simply step back and go, "Hey, all athletes are employees. Negotiate this." Uh, and you know they may be looking to 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 try to uh, you know appease the the plaintiffs here. Yeah. And here's the other piece that's real relevant in our neck of the woods. The, the named defendants are the NCAA, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, Pac-12. The F- Power Five and the NCAA are the named defendants. Not a named defendant, the Mountain West. So if you're Washington State or Oregon State and you're plotting your future, now I don't know what's going to happen. My guess is there'll be a settlement. I don't know. If you're Washington State and Oregon State, do you say to yourself, you know what? If we rebuild the Pac-12 and we're a Power 5 or Autonomy 5 in NCAA terms, if we're an Autonomy 5 league, we could be subject to damages here. But if we go to the Mountain West, which is not a named defendant, are we subject to damages? Now, I don't know. It could it could be that the the damages follow the schools which to whatever, you know, level of competition uh they they fall to, but I wonder if Washington State and Oregon State need to take that into account. They probably already have. Their attorneys probably have. You know, is is there a course of action that would limit or minimize their the damages that they'd be subjected to in the House case that is tied to what they do with their conference? Yeah, I would be curious to see if the judge would say, hey, um, it's Power 5 schools or it's Power 5 conferences. And then if you're Oregon State and Washington State, you know, you're in a catch-22 there because it, you ha- if you're going to claim that you are a Power 5 conference, then you're going to be on the hook as a potential Power 5 defendant in that case. Um, Wilner, let's pivot a little bit to the Heisman Trophy race. Yeah, enough, enough legal talk. Uh, yeah, but that, I, it, was really imp- it was really important. You know, it's so. important. It's important, but I, I think we're going to have more to talk about next week and beyond as Judge Leiby in that court case on Tuesday unfolds and... I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole either. But no, definitely not. It, it, Michael Penix Jr. 
and Bo Nix are sitting 1-2 right now in Vegas on the board as the potential Heisman Trophy winner. Um, I've got a Heisman vote, and, I, and people have asked me, what would you do with it today? I think both these guys are going to go to the downtown athletic club. They're going to be finalists, obviously. I think they both do tremendous things for their teams. I think Penix Jr. has the win head-to-head against Bo Nix. It's hard for me to ignore that. And the way that Penix Jr. and Washington play is, you know, it there's a lot of pressure put on Michael Penix Jr. to make plays for Washington to be successful. So I almost lean that way. If like if I had my ballot in front of me today, it would be Penix at one. It would be Nix at two. Not sure what I would do at three. But, you know, awfully hard for me to ignore how good those two guys are. I just have – I think Penix is – about a step in front of Bo Nix at this point. A lot could change, though, in the coming weeks. What's interesting to me is that they've both been as good as advertised for, what has it been, 10 weeks, which is remarkable that both of them have, right? And Caleb Williams has been terrific, too. Maybe maybe not as good as last year, and USC's, you know, the losses are, are hurting him, but all three guys have been fantastic, uh, living up to the to the billing. So it's, it's fascinating. I wonder what will happen, you know, I'm sure that the Pac-12 championship game, if both guys get into it, Pac-12 championship game will have a huge impact because the votes are not due until the, what, the Monday after the championships. Same as the the transfer portal opening. But the ballots go out. Here's the other thing, though. The ballots go out November 27th. And I do know that some people fill the ballot out before the championship games. And so I think we're just in high time right now. And everybody will talk about what it takes to win a Heisman Trophy, the formula is pretty simple. It Your team has to be, you know, a top 10 team. You you're, you need to be a quarterback, running back, or an exceptional playmaker at another position. You need uh, visibility. You need to be on television. You And you need a Heisman moment. And I, it, people try to say that Michael Penix Jr.'s Heisman moment came against Oregon in the final minute. I don't think so. I think it was a little too early in the season in Week 7. So I think right now, you know, Penix has got Saturday, he's got Utah, then he goes to Oregon State, then the Apple Cup, then a conference championship game. Bo Nix has got USC, you know, the ASU, he's got the Civil War game, and then a potential championship game. Look for a Heisman moment from one of those guys. So I don't, I don't think Bo Nix is out of this. I think he's right on Penix Jr.'s shoulder. He's a step behind him, though, at this point in my book. But Bo Nix has been so damn good. He beats you in so many little ways, and people who say, oh, he just throws a bunch of short passes, you're not watching him. He doesn't make mistakes. Two interceptions, and one of those came where he hit a guy right in the hands, and it bounced off his receiver's hands, and it ended up being an interception. He just, Bo Nix does not make a mistake, and and I think you have to uh, you know, sort of acknowledge that Oregon is not Oregon without Bo Nix, and Washington's not Washington without Michael Penix Jr., but right now no. I have Penix Jr. in front of Nix. It's interesting, too, that the way the 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 parallel between quarterbacks and teams, right? Penix ahead of Knicks, Knicks right on his tail. Washington ahead of Oregon, Oregon right on Washington's tail, and it's all headed for this this collision course in Las Vegas for the final Pac-12 championship game. I do wonder, like, what happens if Oregon wins the game, but Penix has has better stats? The Knicks, just because of the nature of the two teams' offense, right? Oregon, Oregon's much more balanced. 
you, you never know, you know, they could end up running the ball for 200 yards or something. Uh, just how voters will parse team success versus quarterback play if it's really a head-to-head matchup in the championship game. Yeah, I think team success is a big thing, a big factor to a lot of voters. And it's not the ultimate thing, but it's a major factor. And even when you look last year, you know, I put Penix second on my ballot last year. I turned it in. I had Caleb Williams at one. I had Penix two. And um, I remember thinking like, oh, Penix is going to finish like fifth, right? And no, he was only on 8% of the ballots last year. And it was because he didn't get votes in the other other regions. There's six regions in the Heisman vote. He just didn't get votes. He didn't show up on ballots. And, you know, it, Washington wasn't a playoff team and wasn't anywhere near the playoff, even though they had a great record. They didn't get to the conference championship game. And so people held that against Michael Penix Jr. last year. So It's impossible to come to basically be a dark horse candidate in from the West Coast, right? I mean, Christian McCaffrey is the best example. Nobody had any idea who he was when the season started. And and he came up short, right? You the only way you can win it uh, if you play for the West Coast, in my opinion, is if you start the season as a front runner. Marcus Mariota was the betting favorite in 2014. Caleb Williams was, you know, if not the betting favorite, very close, and everybody knew him from from Oklahoma. And Penix started this year, and so did Knicks in the top group. So you had that name recognition in those five voting regions that are basically east of the Mississippi. I mean, it's crazy that North Dakota, South Dakota, all the way to Hawaii is one voting region for the Heisman, but that's just how they do it. Is anybody's seat warm, hot? Every, you see all these stories. Who's on the hot seat? Whose seat is warming? As they look at the Pac-12 standings, You've got a bunch of new coaches, right? Kenny Dillingham's at Arizona State, and Coach Prime's at Colorado, and you got uh, you know uh, Troy Taylor at uh, at Stanford, and you've got um, you know you got some new faces in the conference. So those guys are out. Like you're not going to fire somebody after one year, but uh, and Coach Prime's certainly not going to get fired for what he's done for Colorado. But where where, where does your mind go when I say is, is somebody's seat warming? The first place my mind goes is that. These 10 of the schools are trying to transition into new leagues. And do you want to take, even if you had a coach on the hot seat, do you want to take that extra level of complication with your football program and change coaches as you're changing conferences? Or does the changing conference make it, you know, uh, more sensical? To switch because, you you know, you're starting a, a new you might as well start a new with a new staff. So I, I don't know which way some of the schools would would break down on that. I think of two guys. I, I think if you ask Pac-12 fans like you ranked everybody, asked everybody to satisfaction rating with your head coach, Chip Kelly would be at the bottom because, I you know, UCLA, there's a lot of UCLA fans that just don't like Chip. They are scarred from the first few years. They just don't think the program is as good as it should be. And they would love a coaching change going into the Big Ten. Do I think UCLA is going to change coaches? No, I don't. I mean, he just got an extension. Uh, I think the Bruins want to want to stick with Chip unless the bottom falls out this season. The other one is Justin Wilcox. But, I mean, Cal won. Cal doesn't have the money. Wilcox is signed through I think it's 27 or 27, 28. 2027. Yeah. Yeah. Cal doesn't have the money. I don't think Cal wants the disruption of changing coaches when they're changing conferences. And the other thing is, I mean, to a certain extent, it doesn't matter who Cal, who's coaching Cal. The, the, the ceiling is low unless they're going to make some institutional changes that will allow them to recruit better and deal better in the transfer portal. 
What do you? What, I, so that was a long-winded yeah, answer no, on my I, part. I what do you agree think? that those are the two guys that you know people would look at? But I'm I can tell from the way that Chip Kelly is acting and how he's publicly speaking, and he is one of the few coaches who's come out and says this move doesn't make sense for the rest of the sports. Why are we dragging all these other uh, non-revenue generating sports across the tree? The way he's talking tells me he knows he's safe as a kitten. And the way he's coaching, you know, he started the year by playing Dante Moore and wanted to see what the freshman could do. He did, you know, he just didn't seem like a coach who was coaching for his job. And I think the contract extension that he got, you know, in March, essentially he signs that deal in March. Um, you know, it takes him through 2027, pays him six million plus a year. UCLA is uh, basically citing, you know, financial woes for the Big Ten move. They're not going to fire Chip Kelly. Martin Jarman's not going to make that move. If he was going to do it, he would have done it before extending him. And so I think yep. he is uh, committed to Chip Kelly no matter what Bruins fans think. And then on Cal's front, it's a, it's a little different. I think you you hit it, though. The, the calculus at Cal is just different. And I, th- I actually think going to the ACC – would make me less likely to make a move with Justin Wilcox. I'd want to see what he could do. I'd want the continuity. You got a whole bunch of problems in Cal. You just changed your men's basketball coach to Mark Madsen. You don't want to go back through that again if you're Cal. And and you're gonna to have to pay Justin Wilcox. You know, if you fired him now, you'd still owe him about twenty four million dollars, excluding the bonuses. So he's signed through twenty twenty seven. It's almost five million dollars per season. It's four point seven five really if you work it out. It's just too much money for Cal and, and too much inconvenience. So I I think we might see a cycle here, Wilner, where there are no turnover unless, you know, Jonathan Smith or Jake Dickert or somebody jumps yeah. to another job. And well, that's I, the I, other question, yeah. right? I think so. We both agree that we don't think any of the coaches will or should get fired, but will anybody leave? And is this, I think this is where the USC fans swoop in and say, <laughs> You know, get Lincoln Riley to the NFL. Lincoln, uh, so the Raiders, what, do you think the Raiders will be a change? and Lincoln Riley? The, yeah. Do you think anybody will leave on their own volition? I think Lincoln Riley's a flight risk. I think you know he's looked around. I think he's headed to the Big Ten. It's not going to get easier at the top of the conference. He's getting a taste of, you know, what life is like. And I and I think they thought the job was going to be a lot easier. I remember I wrote this when he was hired. I said he's going to win to a certain extent, but. You know, it, it you know wasn't like he was going to overtake Oregon. It wasn't like he was going to overtake Washington with the you know the momentum that Washington has had in recent years. They're having the same problems at USC. You know, as far as uh, defense and other things that he, that Lincoln Riley had at Oklahoma, it's the same. It's the same dilemma. So I think you know he probably is an NFL guy. I don't know if he goes now because. He's got $100 million in guaranteed salary coming from USC, so it would have to be a good job. But the Las Vegas Raiders crossed my mind when I saw that job open, and I thought about Lincoln Riley. I also think both Jonathan Smith and Jake Dickert are flight risks. Like, you know, there's some uncertainty there, and they want to be in the Power Five. And and I think, you know, if Dickert got a job offer, I think he'd be dumb to, to not consider it. I think Jonathan Smith... I, you know, I've been talking for weeks that Oregon State should have a contract extension, another one in front of him, try to raise his buyout. I haven't heard any news on that, and I kind of wonder if they've tried to make that approach, and Jimmy Sexton's his agent, and maybe they've got some pushback there. So I don't know. I think it's kind of a wait and see, and Tuesday's court date being an important date for both those guys. But if I'm a school with a vacancy, I'm looking hard at Jonathan Smith 
and maybe Jake Dickert, but Jonathan Smith, first of all, he's he has resurrected a program. And so I think for him it will come down to loyalty and, you know, how much does he want to coach somewhere else or does he – is he happy where he is? And I think someday he'll want, he'll be an NFL guy. I think he would want to coach in the NFL. I think he's alluded to that, like someday. But you know, uh, I don't know. I, you know, may, if the USC job opened up, would Jen Cohen hire Jonathan Smith? You know, that's that would be an interesting hire for the Trojans. That he's an LA or guy. Or Kalen DeBoer. Yeah, right. One of those guys. So uh, I mean, I think John, there's a place somewhere in in major college football for Jonathan Smith and then Jake Dickert he's just been such a free fall I would I would hesitate right now if I was Michigan State or somebody else and and really want to know what happened in the last five games yep well and the uh, another one is right is what if Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan for the NFL right he the Raiders gave him his co- his start in coaching really he he loves Al Davis and I think he's got a lot of loyalty to Mark Davis so what if if I mean if Harbaugh leaves Michigan, right? Isn't it pretty obvious they go after DeBoer? Seems like it to me. So then Washington would have to well, double, I'm Washington, double his I, Do set. I go after Jonathan Smith? That's, that's Well, right, yeah, absolutely. He coached there. The I other mean, one, yeah. here's the other one, Jed Fish, yeah. right? I've been thinking about this. Arizona is has got six wins, I believe. Yep, six and three. So let's say he gets – let's just say he gets two. He gets Colorado this week, and they finish with Arizona. They win that one. They lose to Utah. Jetfish eight and four in his third year. They were one and eleven two years ago, right? I'd have to think that he'd be a a pretty hot candidate for you know a power five job at a football school. That's that's part of the Arizona problem on with him is it's a basketball school. It's always going to be a basketball school. You know, somebody comes in, offers him a bunch more money at a football school. You never know. Uh, he, he's not an alum. He doesn't have any Tucson ties. So you, you just don't know. But I think that that would just be one. Let's, you know, we should put that in our back pocket, see what happens. But you you can almost never rule anything out with the coaching carousel. Let's jump into the picks for the week. Uh, we've got obviously a uh, full slate of games and a lot of implications. Let's start with the 11 a.m. game Saturday on the Pac 12 network. Arizona's at Colorado. Arizona's a 10 point favorite in this game. Um, the Buffaloes, I saw them up close last week in Boulder. Their offensive line is not better than it has been in previous weeks. The play calling didn't seem to make a bit of difference. You know, there was a late flurry of yards and a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but kind of think Oregon State played a role in letting up there. This one's just teed up nicely for Arizona. I think Arizona gets to 30, 31 points in this game, and I think they beat Colorado pretty easily. I think it's like 31-17, so I'll take Arizona. And uh, I think they cover the 10. How about you? I mean, I just don't want to get in the way of the, of the trend, right? Arizona is 8-1 and one against the spread this year. Best record in the Power 5. And I think the only team in all of major college football that has the same record as UNLV. So you're 8-1 and one against the spread. I am staying. Uh, I'm not getting in the way. I'll pick Arizona. I think that they, you know, their defense is really good. And Shadur Sanders is going to get pummeled again. And uh, Arizona should win the game fairly handily. Utah at Washington, 12.30 Saturday, Fox. Utah opened as a 10.5-point underdog. It's now down to 9.5. Washington, a 9.5-point favorite. Um, I, I think Washington wins the game. I think they stay undefeated. Utah's defense, though, I think gives them a little bit of a test, and I think Utah will score some points on them. So I have it like 34-28 Washington just because I think Utah shows up to play in games like this. 
They do. It's their last stand, really. If they want to have a shot at the championship game, I think they have to win this game. One, they would, if Washington wins, Utah is eliminated from the number one seed because the Huskies would have a three game lead with two to play over them. Uh, and their chances of getting the number two seed would be slim and none. So to me, this is kind of like their last stand. And, you know, they are a tough, tough team. I think they'll, I think they'll play well. I don't know if Bryson Barnes can get it done. In Husky Stadium, I'm also just checking the weather here on my phone. It's 50% chance of rain in that game. So uh, I don't think the rain would bother Michael Penix, but I don't know about Barnes. I, I've i got Utah to cover, yep. uh, but I had to think about that one for a while because I think it's a tough assignment for them. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one in the Heisman race, too, because I think Penix against that defense, I think Heisman voters will be curious to see how he fares. Next game, we got Washington State at Cal. One o'clock kickoff on ESPN two. The Bears, last I saw, at least Bears were a one and a half point favorite. I mean, it's almost, almost a pick game uh, in Berkeley. Uh, boy, two teams that are struggling. I, I looked; they were o, both were o for October. They're they're really struggling. Home favorites. I love home favorites. Cal's a one and a half point favorite at home. Home favorites have posted a record of thirty-five and five this season in the Pac-12. Cal is two and zero as a home favorite. Cal's winning this game, Wilner. It's thirty-one twenty-eight, but they're winning. I picked them too, only because Washington State just—they look just demoralized to me, right? They haven't figured out once UCLA, you know, played that different formation against them with the uh, defensive front. You know, in standing positions and dropping eight, everybody's kind of picked up on that. And the Cougars haven't come up with an answer. They, they just can't figure it out. And I think they're really scrambling. I got Cal. Uh, I just, uh, I'm, I'm completely off the Cougar train at this point. Stanford's at Oregon State, uh, two thirty Saturday, Pac-12 Network. If people didn't catch it, the Beavers announced it as a sellout, which means every home game this season at Research Stadium, every seat got sold. That is pretty impressive. Like, they sold every seat. They've got standing room only tickets available, but that's it. Um, they play Washington next week, so uh, they, that game has been sold out for a while. But Stanford is a 20-and-a-half point underdog against the Beavers. Stanford's been better. Troy Taylor's teams showed some life. They beat Colorado. Great comeback. Beat Washington State. Competed well against Washington. But this is Research Stadium, and the Beavers are a different team at Research Stadium. So I have Oregon State winning. I think Stanford gets a late TD backdoor cover. It's 34-17. So I guess I'll take Stanford in 20 and a half, but uh, I think they're going to be down by three scores for uh, you know in the second half. Yeah, no, I, it doesn't look good for Stanford, right? I think it's a bad matchup for them too. But I wonder – you know, is this is a little bit of a trap game for the Beavers, in my opinion. And the fact that the Beavers have a trap game speaks to what Jonathan Smith has done with that program, right? Because you only have trap games if you're really good. And uh, otherwise, you're on the other end of that. And and I think Oregon State coming, you know, co going to Colorado, winning that game, and everybody knows what they got next week and the week after with the Huskies and the Ducks. This one is – it feels to me like this one is – even though they're at home – Maybe not coming with the full urgency because they got an eye on an eye on the Husky. So I think Stanford could cover like you. You know, it won't be close at the end, but that's a lot of points. So I got Stanford to cover. Too many points. Uh, ASU's at UCLA, six o'clock Saturday. Pac-12 Network. UCLA's an eighteen and a half point favorite at home. 
Wilner, how do you see that one? Well, I haven't looked recently here last few hours or even since yesterday uh, afternoon about who's starting a quarterback for these teams. They both have got a bunch of quarterbacks hurt. Uh, but I just I just wonder if ASU is completely out, out of bodies, right? I mean, they just got – they're playing third-string tackles and four-string quarterbacks, and they just – they got nobody left. And uh, Utah exploited that. And UCLA's got a, a pretty good defense. And I, I think it's going to be real hard for ASU to, to move the ball, and they're just going to kind of wear down. I, I think they're just – Physically, they are beaten because they they're out of so many bodies. So I got UCLA to cover. I have an interesting take on this one. I I saw the total at forty six and a half, and I saw the quarterback problems. You know, Colin Schlee finishes the game for UCLA last week. Ather Garbers goes out with a leg injury, and Dante Moore hits his head on the artificial turf. Uh, ben Bolch, who covers the team for the uh, LA Times, says that he saw Garbers at practice on Wednesday, moving slowly limping, has a wrap on his right foot, doesn't look like he's going to go. I think it's going to be Schley, and I know Chip Kelly. I've watched him in situations like this, and UCLA's strength this year is not offense, it's defense. So I think UCLA is going to play this game not to lose. I think it's going to be one of these Chip Kelly games. He's done this before. I think they're going to run, 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 run. I think they're going to shorten the game. 18 and a half is too many points. The 46.5 point total in this game, they're going to go way under. That's my prediction. This is a low-scoring game. I think it's like 17-3, 17-7. I think they'll win easily, but the score won't reflect how easily they win because I think the 18.5 points is going to be too many points in this game because I, I don't even think UCLA – I'd be surprised if UCLA scored more than 21. I think they're going to run, 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 and it'll be a very physical – game that they're in control of for the whole game, but it's going to be like 17-7, 17-3, 20-3 maybe, something like that. So I'll take ASU in the 18-and-a-half, and I'll watch the point total. Did you see the uh, the total on the Iowa-Rutgers game opened at 28? I mean, <laughs> that Big Ten West, man, that's like going back in time to the 1950s. Uh, it's like a Twilight Zone thing for when these Pac-12 offenses go go into Iowa City and Lincoln, you know, good boy, unbelievable. Uh, last game of the day, USC at Oregon, 7.30 on Fox. I thought it was interesting that Fox went with the Husky-Ute game at 12.30, and then USC-Oregon at 7.30, and then they got a big 12 game uh, at their primetime window. So uh, Oregon's favored by 15.5 over the Trojans. Uh, I've got Oregon, but I'll let you go here. Yeah, I, I like Oregon as well. I think there have been a couple times this season where Dan Lanning's teams has just showed up with laser focus. The Colorado game and the Utah game in particular. Just laser focus. And I think USC is going to get ambushed in this game. And I know everyone's talking about the new defensive coordinator and could they play their best defensive game of the year. I I think USC is going to cave in in this game. And, and I know they've got Caleb Williams, so I think they'll score a little bit. But the Ducks are hunting for a playoff berth, and they have ASU next week. And they don't, you know, I think this is a Super Bowl this week moment for Oregon. And I even saw the line, Wilner. It opened at 15 and a half, and I saw it softening in some places. I saw 14 and a half in one of the sports books. But, but I think that line movement was tied to the firing of Alex Grinch, and it, it, it's not thinking about Oregon at home, 7 30 game. People are going to be flying around. I, I like Oregon, something like 
24, they'll cover the 14 and a half. I think they'll cover two. You never know. Caleb Williams is good enough to keep USC in it by himself, right? He, the guy is phenomenal. But I just don't see how how the Trojans are going to stop Oregon, right? I mean, you can't change in defensive coordinators. Maybe it provides a little bit of inspiration for these guys or sense of relief, but their fundamentals are so bad. Uh, I just don't know that it's going to make a big difference. So I've got the Ducks. I, I think style points are going to matter in this game uh, for sure, and Dan Lanning's going to be aware of that, and and it's it's not going to be close down the stretch. agree with you on that. Uh, hey, before we go here, I want to thank everybody who subscribes to the podcast. If you're not already subscribed, reach out and make that commitment. Share it liberally with your friends. If we've said something during the podcast that you think uh, one of your friends or family members would enjoy, share it with them. And be sure to visit PacificSeafood.com. want to thank them for being a sponsor of this podcast. Third-generation, family-owned business. They're feeding the world healthiest protein on, on the planet. They ship all over the United States, as Wilner mentioned, in the open. So you can share it with your friends and family and your business partners this holiday season. And uh, PacificSeafood.com is the website. Use the promo code Konzano and Wilner at checkout, and you get 12% off the online purchase. Wilner, and that's I want and you, with the yeah, ampersand, right? Yeah, ampersand. Konzano, Konzano ampersand Wilner at checkout. Uh, you know, you'll figure it out. Konzano and Wilner at checkout. All right. Hey, Wilner, I want you to have a great weekend, man. And, uh, we will catch up with, uh, we got a big guest coming down the pipeline. We've got a Pac-12 coach who's going to be joining us. And uh, we'll be back uh, with more episodes. Appreciate you. Thanks, everybody, and thanks, Pacific Seafood.